Welcome to the Pokes Podcast. I'm Jacob Longin. COVID-19 has a worldwide death toll approaching 220,000 as I record this introduction. Clearly that is the biggest tragedy of this global pandemic, but there are also countless other bad things that have come from this situation. Imagine what it's like for college seniors across the country who suddenly and unexpectedly saw their undergraduate experiences end. They missed out on countless moments that would have served as emotional conclusions to a chapter of their lives that many alumni fondly remember as among their happiest times. One such graduating senior is Chapman Howard, a mathematics and mechanical engineering major from Tulsa. Chapman, one of the OSU Alumni Association's 16 outstanding seniors, plans to pursue a PhD in mathematics next fall. But first, as he wraps up his senior year through online classes, he joined me to talk about how he's doing, what he's doing, and how he's done so much over the past four years. The obvious question I have to ask here is to get this honor of outstanding senior is a pretty big deal. What does that mean to you? Um, that's tough because it's one of the things that I debated applying for, I guess. And I think a lot of people do because it's the end of your senior year and this is more uh, like a recognition than it is an award. Um, and I guess that's what it means to me is that I have really, really, truly enjoyed my time on OSU's campus because I have found some really meaningful, impactful ways to spend my time here. And receiving this award is a recognition of how meaningful those things were, not just to me, but to OSU's community as well. Like those were things that were worth spending my time in. I spent enough time to, for those things to impact me and for me to have an impact on campus as well. And so it's a nice way for the university to recognize that those were good things for you to spend your time doing. <laughs> and you might have spent a lot of time doing them and it might have taken up your entire life for three years, but that was a good thing and we're happy that you did that. In a little bit, I want to talk to you about what life is like for you right now as a student, taking all your classes online. We're recording this on April 21st, um, so we've been uh, doing this shelter in place for a while now. How disappointed are you, or does it matter, that it's worked out like this, that you didn't get to go to the banquet and do all of that as part of this? I don't know. I was a little nervous when I heard that they were <laughs> selling tickets. <laughs> like, it almost feels like... It is a recognition, but that's the part that makes me a little nervous, is when they're saying, like, okay, we're going to have a banquet in your honor now. That, you know, just makes me... It would make me a little nervous to show up. Um, so I, I'm, as far as specifically re like pertaining to the award, I'm not super disappointed that there wasn't this big banquet. I think it was enough for me to get the recognition for them to just affirm that all this time that I've spent on these things in college was, you know, good worthwhile time. So you're a double major in mathematics is what we're most concerned about and mechanical engineering those don't seem like two very easy majors to me. There certainly is some crossover, but um, why did you decide to do such a difficult program, two programs? Well, in high school, I really, really loved math first and foremost, but for a different reason than I love math now. I loved math first and foremost, and then I really loved physics. And besides a couple pre-engineering classes or like I was in the engineering club you don't really get a lot of exposure to what engineering is and what kind of classes you have to take and besides the general understanding of okay it's when you use math and physics together but it's not really as theoretical as math and it's not really as 
strenuous as physics. It's more applied besides that kind of general understanding that everybody has in their head. I didn't really know what engineering was, um, but I did know they had a lot of scholarship money. <laughs> um, and so I, I was interested in math and physics. And so I decided, yeah, I'll try out mechanical engineering. And while I was a freshman, I was also thinking, okay, engineering is my primary degree, but I'll, I'm also going to explore math and physics and see what it would be like if I were to like double major, triple major, or get two minors, you know, just to figure out to what degree math and physics, you know, I wanted to play in my college career. And I really quickly learned that people had a really hard time with some of our physics classes and I didn't have enough motivation to go there. And so I decided that, you know, physics maybe wasn't for me. But I think the reason that I chose them is just that it's what I've always liked doing. And like I said, I like math for a different reason now, but I just find them both really interesting and rewarding to work on. Twice indicated there that you love math for a different reason now. What What is that? So I've had the... <laughs> opportunity, I'll say, to write this in 19 different essays that I've applied <laughs> to apply to grad school. But when I was in high school, and I think this is the common understanding of math, is that it's this really cool, hard to use tool, and everybody learns calculus. And they're like, wow, that's crazy that you can solve these really hard problems with a power series. But why do you need to know that? <laughs> or like, besides using it for engineering giant bridges or giant buildings, who needs this kind of math? And if nobody needs that kind of math, then who needs the kind of math that mathematicians are doing? Maybe theoretical physicists, you know, there's just very little understanding of what mathematicians do and why it's interesting and why anybody should care. And that's definitely my understanding, was my understanding while I was in high school. But I really liked that tool nonetheless. You know, I wanted to be one of those people that used that tool. Um, I wanted to be one of the people that understood that high-level math because I enjoyed doing that. And then once I got to, you know, the first little inkling of what math with a capital M, what mathematicians actually do, once I got like a tiny, tiny glimpse of that in college, I figured out that it's much more interesting, that it's not really, first of all, it's much broader than I had ever had an understanding of. I was single-minded on harder and harder calculus being what math was, and it's actually ginormous, impossible to describe. I'm only an undergraduate. I have very little understanding of how broad it actually is, but I just know that it's all out there. And I also learned that it's more about kind of teaching yourself how to think. It's this really philosophical thing, and it's worth it's almost rooted in collaborating with people and having discussions and figuring things out together. And it really is, you know, just at the heart about solving problems and being curious. And it's not just a tool to be used somewhere. And the moment that that switch flipped in my head, I knew that that's kind of what I wanted to do. You are not only a double major, but your majors are in two different colleges. Mm -hmm. What is that experience like? I don't know. Besides having to take a couple pictures twice, <laughs> I don't think it's really affected me a whole lot. I think earlier in college, I had the idea that it would open up a lot more opportunities for two different colleges reaching out to their students, whether it be um, like for enrichment or job opportunities or scholarships or whatever. But I, I don't think it's felt like I was in two different worlds and I was getting all those experiences it's felt pretty normal, I guess. My understanding is you're planning to go uh, get a doctorate in mathematics? 
Is that yes, right? I'm going, I'll be going to the University of Arizona. I guess we'll see what happens with the world, but <laughs> is a plan to start there in the fall? Yes, that's the plan right now. And they've sent us a couple of emails about, you know, maybe things could be online, but their plan right now is to have classes in the fall. When you get an award like uh, Outstanding Senior, good grades is part of it, but there are a lot of factors. Uh, a big part of it is what are you doing outside of the classroom? And I see a long list here of the various things you've done, and I, I'll just read through this very quickly. Undergraduate Coordinator for President's Leadership Council, Community Organizer of Students for Bernie Sanders, College of Engineering, Architecture, and Technology Scholars Executive Member, and a Student Union Activities Board Talent Committee Member in the community. You're a volunteer at Our Daily Bread Food and Resource Center, St. Crispin's Church Camp, Oklahoma Wondertorium, serving as a volunteer on the campaigns, both Andy Richardson for State House and Trish Ranson for State House. That's a lot, along with two very difficult majors. You don't spend a lot of time in that apartment or house that I'm looking at right now, do you? No, I have recently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, but the last three years, it's been a lot of doing stuff on campus and I've spent enough time here. I actually really like to cook. Maybe we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, that that's where you're using your math, right? You're figuring out the, uh, the ingredients and uh, all of those things. Absolutely. Yeah. But you're right. I have had some very rewarding experiences outside of my bedroom as well. I like to ask when I talk to students like you, why do you do it? Because it's, it's certainly not easy to just go and go and go and accomplish the things you've accomplished. What pushes you to do that? Hmm. I mean, obviously it's something everybody thinks about. It's like what, what actually motivates you. And especially when you get into things that take up so much of your time, you end up getting burned down in one thing or another and you have to figure out what inside of you really wants to do these things. And for most of the things that I'm involved in, it's because I get that sense of big picture, large scale empowerment. Like this is a thing that is more valuable than I am. And if I can do a little bit to push it forward, then it's gonna have meaning that is much, much bigger than me. Um, and that really helps. I don't always feel that way when I'm doing my schoolwork. <laughs> Like when I'm sitting down and writing the solutions to my math homework, I don't always feel like this is going to change the world in some small way. But for those things that I, I don't connect to some larger idea or some movement or something like that, um, normally those are things that I enjoy doing just in and of themselves. You know, like people love to sit down and do the crossword every day for some people um, or just on the weekends for some people. And for me, I love to sit down, you know, a little bit at a time and figure out the problems on my schoolwork. That's why I'm going to grad school for it because I'm the guy who likes doing his homework. <laughs> <laughs> when you uh, volunteer, I know that brings up a lot of emotion that people get passionate about that. Do you have a favorite moment or a favorite memory from your time volunteering? Yeah. So something that I know everybody has thought and talked about a million times is how we are losing the ability to have a good discourse with people we disagree with in this country. And everything is getting more spiteful and hateful and angry and we are just not able to communicate anymore. I knocked doors for Andy Richardson, who was a state house candidate in Tulsa. And I did that for many, many weekends. And I can't think of any specific time, but I know that there were several times where we would go up, we would kind of talk about Andy and these people would have things that they just wanted somebody to talk about, you know, they would just start going on about it. And it was 
every time really rewarding to just sit down and talk to somebody and figure out that, yeah, <laughs> I don't think you're going to vote for Andy. And I really appreciate you sitting the t taking the time here to talk to me because I don't know any other time when I would have heard somebody with this perspective, you know, and sometimes it's things that are hard to hear and things that I very much disagree with and things that I want to lash out and say something because it hurts me so much. But that's an experience that I feel like I needed because it's so easy to stay in your own echo chamber. And it's so easy to even just to acknowledge like, ah, oh, I need to get out. I need to hear the other opinions. But I think knocking doors for a political candidate that might be from the unpopular party in a certain area is definitely something that has opened my eyes to the way people think in a certain way and not in a bad way, not like exposing the people that I know that I should disagree with, just knowing more about the people that are around me. I can't help but think when you're talking about math and mechanical engineering, it's facts and figures and there shouldn't be a lot of emotion in it. There's agreed upon things. When you're talking about politics, it's not like that. I mean, there are facts, but it's people going, well, my opinion is this and my opinion is this. And often there's not an absolute truth in there. So it's like you've got two halves, two um, different parts of your brain you're engaging, which I, I find very interesting. Thank you. <laughs> Let's see. You were an OSU Convocation student speaker. You were a Goldwater Award nominee. Coslow Research Scholar, a Tau Beta Pi Scholar, and an OSU Student Employee of the Year finalist. Where, where did you work? That's the undergraduate coordinator for the President's Leadership Council. I was the undergraduate worker in that office um, in the Center for Ethical Leadership, which does a lot more than just the President's Leadership Council, but it's a part of leadership and campus life. And I sat at that desk for about 20 hours a week for the last couple of years. I don't know a lot about the President's Leadership Council. How do you explain that to people, what it is? The President's Leadership Council is a group of between 125 and 150, normally closer to 125 freshman students that are selected based on um, an essay, an interview, and a little bit on their leadership resume. And what we try and do their freshman year we have them in class their freshman year, and then after that, they have the opportunity to participate as facilitators, which are mentors to the freshman students. What we try and do in that class their freshman year is totally change their idea of leadership. And we find that a lot of freshman students have what we call a transactional view of leadership, where it is about planning events that are normally fundraisers that have a great impact on the community, and that's fantastic, or doing nice things for people, you know, things that are, okay, I'm going to give you something and one, it's going to help you or it's going to make you feel good or you're going to give me something in return. There's always that kind of transaction. And what we try and change that to is what we call transformational leadership, where those events are still great, but the reason why you would do something like that has totally changed because we try and teach them that leadership is a process of positive social change in your community and it's about empowering the people around you to be the best people they can be, informing them. It turns out that's pretty hard <laughs> because people have all sorts of different things that are important to them. And we incorporate the things that we believe are, are or should be important to leaders, like being a socially just leader and being aware of your implicit biases and changing your paradigms on things that you were taught a long time ago. And that always meets a lot of resistance. Summing all that up, I would say that PLC is 
supposed to be a place where we really, really, really nurture people their freshman year, specifically people that we feel like are going to have a big impact somewhere someday. What kind of research did you do? So for a while, um, and this really intrigued my boss at this job, Josh Taylor, he used to talk about it to everybody. This is a little one line about me that he loved saying, I was working on a project with an engineering professor on how to 3D print these things called liquid crystal elastomers, which are plastics that you can stimulate with electricity or heat and they contract like muscles. Um, and so the overarching theme and goal of that project was to figure out a way to 3D print these materials around a bone structure so that they would act like muscles, ergo giving you a way to 3D print synthetic muscle. And then I've done a couple things in math Something I've come to realize, and I think everybody finishing their undergraduate degree in math comes to realize, is that it's really hard to do research in math as an undergraduate because the prerequisite level for understanding what's going on is so high. But there's a couple things here and there that I've worked on, and that COSLO project you mentioned I'm working on right now has been really interesting, and I think it's something that is preparing me for grad school. And I can try and describe it if you want me to. Sure. <laughs> So basically, um, if you don't remember, a polynomial is a function in multiple powers of one variable. Um, let's say there can be two variables in a polynomial, um, but I don't know as much about that because that's something people study in grad school. Um, but for one variable, and there's this mathematical object called the Galois group, and it turns out that you can, there are some cool tricks and there are some really interesting insights you can make when you look at the Galois groups of certain polynomials, specifically which kind of groups you can get from certain polynomials. And so I've done a little bit of coding and done a little bit of mathematical reasoning with one of my advisors about which kind of groups we should see in certain places and which kind of groups we do see in certain places from the computational side. So that's been pretty fun. And what professor you, did you work with? Uh, Dr. Anand Patel. Yeah, I've got a journalism degree and a master's in mass comm. I actually did some fairly advanced math um, for my uh, thesis in, to get my master's. But like many writers, I don't love math. I'm actually, I'm pretty good at it, but I don't love it. How is it possible that the majority of people think they're below average in math? That doesn't seem to work. Right. Yeah, a lot of people get to college and they just go, oh, I'm not good at math. It's like, well, no, maybe, maybe you don't have confidence. Maybe you've been taught poorly, but you're not just inherently bad at math, or most people aren't. Right. Well, I don't think anybody is. I mean, obviously, that's something I've thought about, too. And I, that's something actually in that PLC class that we use as kind of a framework for since everybody feels that way, it's a great way to talk to people about having a fixed or a growth mindset about certain things. And the reality of that situation is that everybody has a fixed mindset when it comes to math. You know, I don't know how they got duped into believing that everybody has a fixed ability in math, something mm. you cannot overcome. There are people who are good at math and bad at math, and there's no in between. Mm. Uh, but they believe it. Had you taken online classes before? Yeah, I've taken a couple online classes over the summer. So how is your experience going now taking all of your classes online? You, having done it before, at least uh, you had some idea of what to expect. Right. It's interesting. I think there are a lot of professors that choose not to teach those summer classes online because they know that it's just a tough experience. And for a lot of professors, the rewarding part about teaching is getting to interact with students and having a, like a meaningful connection and helping people work through what they might be struggling on. And that is something that you get 0% of online. 
And so I think it's also, it's been a struggle for us, partly because it's just tough to immediately switch like that, but also because it's been tough on the professors because they're having to adapt to it as well. Like I said, before we started, one of my midterms in a class has been converted to a series of five weekly quizzes. And that kind of helps, but it's more like looking through the lecture slides and making sure that I've memorized all the answers instead of showing up prepared to a test with preparation, knowing that I understand this on kind of a conceptual level and I'm able to work with it so that I can answer problems that maybe I haven't seen before. I feel like everything's kind of taken a step back in the level of complexity because they're just not able to have the same experience online. These are cases where they didn't, they didn't expect this. They weren't preparing an online class from the beginning. Yeah, it, it certainly is a difficult situation for everyone. Are you still working on your research? Yes. Um, obviously, it's not exactly the same. My uh, professor and I used to meet about once a week and talk about you know, what we had to talk about that week and whatever. But towards the end of the semester, I was supposed to give a presentation and I think everybody has canceled the presentations because it would be, you know, a little too awkward and hard to schedule all this stuff online. But I'm still writing a paper for it. And I have had a good idea for most of the semester of what I wanted to put in the paper. And the past couple of weeks have just been me talking to Dr. Patel about exactly what to put where um, and figuring out the last couple of things that we like to put in the paper. With your math background, do you feel like you had some insight into how this thing was going to work out, the way contagion works, the way one person can expose other people and they expose other people. And it's, it's like compound interest or something. Um, <laughs> I keep looking at those, you know, cumulative, how many cases there are. And I keep thinking of that. It's like, it's compound interest. This is building mm -hmm. on this, is building on this, is building on this. There's math involved in that. But did you feel like you could see, not exact numbers, but you could see what could happen here more than maybe some of your peers? Maybe a tiny bit. <laughs> um, as far as understanding what an exponential curve is, yeah, I got that down. <laughs> um, it's bad when the logarithmic curve has a linear derivative. But as far as what I know about the mathematics of epidemiology, pretty little. I got the chance to sit in on a series of presentations on the students' research when I visited the University of Arizona, where I'm going to grad school. And we got to see what all of the various disciplines of people applied mathematics, pure mathematics, or statistics were doing in their research at Arizona. And one of the applied mathematics students was working on building models for epidemics. Uh, and, you know, this was the beginning of March. And it's weird to think that even then, we weren't really asking questions about it. When I look at your list of community involvement, the Oklahoma Wondertorium seems very different than the others. That's uh, a children's museum. Mm -hmm. How did you get matched up with them? So when I was in the President's Leadership Council as a freshman, there had been this assignment that for several years, the PLC was trying to work out exactly the best way to do it, calling it the creative component. And my year, we decided that we wanted to reach out to some community organization and find a way to like build them something new or come like put on a project that they'd never seen done before because we had 12 people in our group and we we're thinking okay what can we do for somebody um, that would be a cool novel experience and we decided basically to go buy a bunch of supplies and put on some event for the Wondertorium. I can't remember exactly what it was but we spent several hours cutting things out and doing all that and basically got connected as a freshman 
um, trying to reach out for the PLC class. A favorite question of mine, and you may not have a good answer, doing all of this that you've done, you've done a lot right to be able to succeed. Have you learned any lessons from mistakes you've made that you could pass on to others? Because we hope students are listening to this podcast. So younger students who are doing something similar, thinking about doing something similar, is there any advice you have for them? Hey, don't make this mistake. <laughs> yeah, that um, that is what drove me writing the speech that I got to give at convocation, which was a fantastic experience. I was so nervous on stage. <laughs> um, luckily, Gallagher Iba made the however many thousand people look pretty small. But writing that, that's what I wanted to focus on, is if I got this chance to talk to freshmen, what would I say? What would I, what did I wish that somebody would have told me when I was a freshman? And I really love that you mentioned success because it totally centers around that. I think that coming into college and finishing high school, the way that I defined success in general and what a personal success for me would have been was hurting me instead of helping me and forcing me to compete against the people around me in a way that wasn't healthy and was me trying to put myself above other people. And so what I tried to tell people um, in that speech and what I would definitely try and tell people right now is that it is really hard to find a personal passion, but it will change your life. And college is the perfect place to do that because especially at OSU, there are a billion opportunities per student that you could try once, get a feel for it, and move on to something else. And that's a little exhausting at first, but you might as well try it as a freshman while everything's new and exciting. And so the way I tried to look at college, once I had this realization, was that freshman year, I would try as many things as possible. I would build the base of my pyramid. Eventually, year after year, I would weed a couple things out until senior year. I was at the top of my pyramid, and I was only working on things, like a very small amount of things that I was very deeply invested in. And that changed my definition of a personal success to just things that are rewarding to me, you know, things that I can go do every day. You asked earlier how I spent so much time doing this things that are constantly rejuvenating to me, maybe in the short term, maybe in the long term, maybe the things that don't feel very good to do in the short term, you know, maybe it's doing hard work that is exhausting, but coming home from that, I feel like I've done a good thing. But I would just make sure that success is not about being an outstanding senior. It is about finding a personal passion and doing something that feels rewarding, connects you to something larger than yourself and paying it forward in some way. So as I mentioned earlier, we've been doing this uh, shelter in place for about a month now or so. The end of your senior year is very different than you anticipated. You said you didn't mind so much that you weren't going to be at a banquet as an outstanding senior. Right. Are you disappointed about the way graduation is working out? Like the actual commencement ceremony? A little bit, yeah. I am disappointed that there's not going to be some big event just to convince everybody in our heads, like we've actually done this. We've actually finished our degree and we're done. Right now, in my head, I'm imagining there's one day where I'm gonna take my last online final. And then as soon as I click that button, I know, okay, I did it. <laughs> That's it, that's my degree right there on the computer. It's also, and I've talked to some of my professors um, that are from other countries that don't have giant commencement ceremonies like we do. And they typically go out and celebrate with their friends and family. And that's also something that we won't be able to do. 
So on that front, yeah, it's a little disappointing. I think the over only silver lining is that I'm not going to have to buy a robe. <laughs> um, so it, it'll save us all a little tiny bit of money. But no, it, it is pretty disappointing to not be able to go out and celebrate and to be able to talk to your friends and, you know, share the memories of how hard this actually was and how much effort you had to put into finishing it. It's really, it's been really hard for me. One of the hardest things about graduating is that when you do all those things I just said, like find a passion of yours and do something that's important to you and impactful and empowers yourself and other people around you. It's so hard to leave that. <laughs> like it's like building a support network around yourself and things that you love to do. And then saying like, okay, I'm going to go start over from the very beginning somewhere else. And one of the things that I am most beat up about is that this job for PLC has been the most impactful thing, you know, and what we do is like constantly try and change the ways that the program is run. And I have been in the incredible position where I get a little bit of a say in what actually happens. And that's been incredible. And I feel like I'm making a big difference. And it's, I love that. What I wanted to do next year is the way that we do the fall retreat is totally changing. And one of the broader ideas that we've tried to work into PLC is this psychological theory by this guy named Vygotsky, Vygotsky's Zones of Proximal Development, and a weak summary. I hope there are not any psychologists listening that would be really angry at me. Is that you have this zone where you can learn the best by being uncomfortable, but you have to be self aware enough to not push yourself too far into being so uncomfortable that you panic and you totally shut down. But you also can't be comfortable enough that you aren't interested and focused in what's going on. And so something we wanted to work into that PLC retreat was from the very second they do something related to OSUs, letting these presidents, leadership scholars know that for four years, not only would I say, you know, from before you need to try and find that personal passion, you need to work on being uncomfortable. And I think that's something that I've tried to master for a long time. And I will try to master for a long time to come because it's so difficult. But to just constantly do things that make you uncomfortable, very important to me, I guess. And so maybe you find yourself knocking doors for a political candidate in a neighborhood where that candidate is not likely to get a lot of votes, right? Mm -hmm. Right. But you learn from it. That was a really rewarding experience. And yeah, I wasn't in my comfort zone doing that. But I wasn't so uncomfortable that when somebody opened the door, I would just blank face shut down. You know, it was the right level of uncomfortable for me. I'd like to thank Chapman for joining me today. I'm sure that this Cass Cowboy will do more great things in graduate college and throughout his life. And with that, we'll end this episode by asking him our final question. How do the arts and sciences make the world a better place? I would say that the reason the arts and sciences make the world a better place is because they are producing things that prove to people that thinking is worth it. <laughs> thinking is a hard thing to do. Um, I'm sure anybody listening to this who's ever sat down and tried to do a puzzle they had no idea how to do you have to think really hard and that's exhausting what the arts and sciences do in my opinion is give you things that you can sit down and look at and think about and 
it's rewarding, whether it be any kind of, you know, production art that somebody has spent a long time putting some kind of meaning into that you can look at and think about and also get that meaning from. Or if it's something like math, where it's something that you learn and you look at things in a different way and you think about things in a different way. And that's rewarding too. Whatever you're producing in the arts and sciences, whether it's giving you tools or like something to look at, is just something that makes doing that hard thing of thinking a little more fun. 